0: Hello, and welcome to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff, filling in as host today for Danny Parisi, who is returning and recovering from Shop Talk. We'll hear a little bit about that next week, I'm sure, and I'm here with Glossy's international fashion reporter, Zofia Zviglinska. Hey, Zofia.
1: Hi. Glad to be on again.
0: Happy to chat with you. We never do this. It's so, it'll be nice, <laughs> <laughs> but... This week, we're going to talk about Decentraland's second annual Metaverse Fashion Week and how big brands leveraged the opportunity, which Sophia wrote about a little bit this week. We'll dig in more. And we're also going to break down Lululemon's fourth quarter and full year earnings for 2022 as a check-in on the state of activewear, athleisure, that whole booming industry. And finally, we're going to have to talk about The Hollywood Reporter's annual Most Powerful Stylists list. It spotlights the biggest celebrity fashion stylist of the year, and they also put some brands on the map this year, so we'll, we'll break that down as well. But, Sophia, I'm so glad you're here because, yes, the Metaverse expert in-house, we will say, but Metaverse Fashion Week. So what happened, um, for those who don't know, from Tuesday to Friday of this week, uh, virtual world Decentraland hosted Metaverse Fashion Week. 60 brands in total took part, including well-known, na- well-known names. Excuse me, Tommy Hilfiger, Dolce and Gabbana, Adidas. Um, They debuted digital fashion collections, digital spaces. Some of them hosted activations that were very exclusive to this event and this point in time. Sophia, you got in there, yeah? Describe the experience. What was it like?
1: Yeah. Um, So I joined the event on Tuesday. Obviously, I'd covered and talked to a number of brands before that, um, just for the piece that came out on Monday, looking at all of the different activations coming from the biggest brands. So mainly, I would say Adidas and Tommy, um, but also Coach, who um, did a very kind of immersive display in the space. And I think there's been a lot of changes since last year. You know, there's um, better orientation. They've put maps and kind of different areas everywhere. So you know where all of the events are. Um, when you go in, when you've got like your avatar walking around in like top left corner, you get a little schedule of all of the events that are happening on the day. Um, so you can literally just jump in and click, go to whatever event you want to, which means that orientation is definitely a lot easier. And I think the brands have gone a little bit more I'd say they've tried some more interesting things this year. Adidas had a kind of like light show display with all of their virtual gear, which is like their digital fashion collection. Um, Coach had like a massive, um, the tabby bag, the like little puffy bag bag. They had a massive one of those that you basically got, like, alien transported into. Um, and then they had, like, a dance-off inside, which was quite fun. Um, and then Tommy had, like, an interoperable display across, like, five different platforms. Because I think this year the focus was on not just Decentraland, but also other immersive platforms that could kind of add to the experience in a slightly different format. So interesting. Talk a little
0: bit about, I think that was the theme of the event, this interoperability. I can't even say it, but like, (laughs) what is that for those who don't know? And this was brand new?
1: Yeah, I think so. I don't think it was really trialed that much last year. Um, A lot of brands did kind of separate events, but it wasn't really tied into, and users couldn't really travel between locations, which is something that Has happened this time. So, if you go into um, the Tommy world, for example, there are different like displays within the event space where if you get closer to it, you can click on it and jump into another space. Um, And they've created kind of unique experiences for each of those different platforms um, with like items that are specific to that platforms, little games that you can like take part in. So that interoperability is just mainly that ability to move between platforms and to do that in a relatively seamless way.
0: Yes, I recently met with uh, Avery Baker, the president of Tommy Hilfiger, and you you talked to her for your story. Um, and she said something to the effect of, you know, with us, we do a big, we go big or we go home. And <laughs> they didn't do a, a fashion show, which was interesting in, in February. Um, would you say they had the b- largest presence? And when you talked about coach, you talked about the the large bag. And that seems to me like very suitable. Like it's a brand moment. You don't forget the bag, which is <laughs> their thing. But did you get a sense in Tommy that you, you wanted to shop and... Um, hang out and you know what they're standing for this season or what was the
1: effect? Yeah, I mean, they they definitely call upon like their most signature pieces in the space. So they're not really looking at going into kind of too many different items in terms of shopping, like the most iconic pieces are the ones that they focused on. So it was like the Letterman jacket. They had this like dress in like their signature kind of navy and white um, and I think they had a couple of other jumpers and jackets that were really popular in the space um, based on like figures that they've posted so far. I think the the jumper in particular was one of those like most bought items. And then, yeah, I'd say in terms of coach, like it was all about the experience. Like I almost think that they kind of got it a little bit more. Like they made the space quite like gamey. Like you'd go in, your like avatar would already start dancing. You'd have like things that you could collect within the space, um, and it just felt a little bit more interactive and kind of entertaining. A lot of these places, like when you'd go inside the store, it kind of replicates a physical store experience. So you're just basically, you know, looking at items, climbing flights of stairs, and looking at other things. So I think that integrating those games, and I think Tommy had a a game too where you'd collect items and get like a specific thing um, at the end of it if you collected them all. I think that integrating those elements allowed users to kind of stay in those spaces more and kind of be a little bit more engaged. Yes. What do we know about the attendance?
0: And like you mentioned games, and this is not a Roblox um type of audience what do we know first of all about Decentraland's usual usual I guess do you say foot traffic <laughs> um, yeah. and also yeah the the crowd that they attract here
1: yeah I mean usually like the Decentraland's kind of like audience has been kind of going down unless it's one of these one of the bigger events I think they also did a music one last year that was kind of a big focus for them I think more people took part in that so I would say that, you know, the Decentralands Metaverse Fashion Week is kind of becoming one of these events that pulls people together. And it does seem like attendance um, in general was quite big. I think that the um, the amount of people that came this time around and interacted may have been more engaged. I'm not quite sure if the numbers stack up yet onto to what happened last year, just because we've still got two more full days um, to count that up. So I think I'll probably just be checking in on that next week and seeing how it compares to the attendance last year and whether that engagement was really higher.
0: Yeah, you took a critical look last year in a story about kind of what could have been better? Overall, it, it seems you're saying it was a better experience. Any improvements still to be made? Uh, not maybe on behalf of the brand. Some of them you're saying don't really get it. Um, but the experience overall, maybe what Decentraland can do for the brands or for the attendees?
1: Yeah, I think that bringing in more of those immersive elements is something that, you know, brands and Decentraland should be focusing on. Um, I spoke to Giovanna Casimiro, who's kind of the head of Metaverse Fashion Week, and she said that, you know, they'd already improved many things from the operational side. so in terms of, like, capacity, how many people are actually able to log on, you know, what that experience is like. There's uh, this, like, welcome area that everyone um, gets, like, portaled into in the first part and all of the different kind of signage um, and aspects, those things have been improved to to make that easier. I still think there's a little bit of a lack there um, just because there was multiple times over the last couple of days where I couldn't actually enter the space. Um, And I think that's Ah. got something to do with browser kind of compatibility um, and possibly is just something that they might need to improve on if they want kind of a wider audience. Um, But I think that the main thing is just focusing on all of these like gaming slash interoperable elements, like making it something that is interactive. Like I think that scale is obviously great. Like it's nice when you have like massive buildings in the space or like really fun kind of moving activations. But sometimes like the thing that's going to keep people in there is, you know, these experiences where they're able to like collect something, interact with it and like gamify it essentially.
0: Yes. Last year, you talked about kind of the uh, battle of the metaverse fashion weeks, and it was crypto fashion week, which crypto, you know, (laughs) is not having its best PR moment. (laughs) And then uh, metaverse fashion week and crypto fashion week was more so focused on digital fashion. Um, Metaverse fashion week by Decentraland was more um, the traditional players getting in on this digital fashion opportunity, I think is what you were saying. Um, But yeah, crypto,
1: it it seems it's fallen off. Yeah. Yeah. I think it has, unfortunately, but I do think that other things are springing up in its place? I know that there's going to be an AI Fashion Week that's going to be coming within the next weeks/slash months, um, and that is something that's going to look at the possibilities of integrating AI into design on the runway and kind of what that looks like. Um, and I know that there's going to be multiple um, kind of industry experts involved, so I'm expecting kind of panelists on the integration of you know ai within this like tech fashion space
0: yes i hope i'm not spilling the beans but we're also talking to um a metaverse i don't know if i'm maybe flipping around the words metaverse beauty week um anyway so talking to some players who are considering getting that off the ground or going bigger with it this year um so yes i'll bother you on that but tell me about is this obviously a physical fashion show. This is a totally different ball game, but like that's hundreds of thousands of dollars as brands are thinking about the economy, maybe pinching their pennies. You, we mentioned very large brands that are getting in on this now. I, is this just a case We know the metaverse is going to be a thing, a bigger thing. It's only going to get bigger. Um, And whereas some brands are probably rolling their eyes at even putting any thought and effort into it now, any investment. So I don't know. Like moving forward, do you just think that this is a case of, first of all, the giant's in terms of brands getting bigger because they're able to figure this out and do this year after year um, and ever, others will be kind of left behind? Do you think this will be an annual or a seasonal event, maybe moving on from annually? Like what what's from here um, in terms of what we know now, I guess?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I do think that the bigger brands pull in the audience. Um, the fact that someone like Adidas, for example, um, entered the space and kind of made it you know, one of the bigger activations during the Metaverse Fashion Week was a really big thing. And existing players, you know, like Dundas or like um, Coach and Tommy, I think that they're able to kind of integrate their physical retail experiences into something like this. I know that Coach at least is already kind of rolling out a global um, campaign around its tabby bag and retail stores. So I think that in a sense, this ties in to um, the digital activation that they had within Decentraland. So it makes sense for them to do something that's, you know, across both kind of worlds, let's just say. But I do think that the opportunity for digital fashion is still there, you know, from smaller brands. It just might be in a slightly different format. There's been a number of different kind of marketplaces involved. I mean, DressX is one of the biggest ones, and it was involved um, as a partner, in metaverse fashion week and correlated with a number of different brands to run events during the season. So I think it's still possible for, you know, younger niche um, fashion brands to get involved in digital fashion week, and it might still be a low spend. And they obviously can also run their own events at any point um, during the year and engage with their users kind of more directly without having to be kind of like tied into what Decentraland is doing as well. But I do think that they're trying to, you know, make it an annual thing. The one thing, like the difference between digital fashion and physical fashion is that the season aspect is kind of not really relevant. Um, (laughs) And I think that with physical fashion, it's something that's still, you know, even with the push for like seasonless fashion, it's still something that makes it, you know, a discernible difference between the things that are presented for spring, summer versus autumn, winter. I think with digital fashion, the idea that, you know, you don't really have to consider that at all means that it's most likely going to stay an annual event yes
0: i mean what we're hearing about the young generation they don't see a difference between online and offline it's just one in the same they're asking for robux as opposed to money for their birthday like anyway (laughs) (laughs) it's all coming um so yeah don't roll your eyes at us just wait. Anyway, <laughs> moving <laughs> along. Thank you, Sophia. Um, let's talk Lululemon. So, um, the Activewear Company announced fourth quarter and full year earnings for 2022 on Tuesday strong results across the board 30% revenue increase during both time frames so for the year they had 8.1 billion dollars in revenue um for the quarter it was 2.8 and it's now projecting 9.3 to 9.4 billion for 2023 which made shareholders oh so happy that was that exceeded expectations <laughs> but yeah any surprises here from your end
1: I mean, no surprises, but I think that obviously some of the events, um, event investments that they had during the pandemic have not panned out. Um, The the kind of aspect where they were looking into at-home fitness with Mirror, have basically completely bottomed. I don't think that they're looking at investing in anything in that any further. That was um, a big kind of feature from the earnings. There's much more of a focus on, you know, the physical sales and less of that, um, you know, pandemic integration of home fitness, which was, you know, a big push for them for a little while.
0: Yeah, for sure. The executives owed, owed the growth to like three aspects three to five, five to six. But um, they talked about innovative products, these powerful customer experiences um, and strategic market expansion. They're definitely uh, going hard as part of this larger plan um, from 2021 to 2026, um, three different areas of the business they were looking to double. Um, So that was, uh, they call it direct to consumer, but that just means their online sales because obviously their stores are also direct to consumer. (laughs) Anyway, but um, men's business, direct to consumer and international, international Europe, Asia, the usual suspects, um, but they also talked about avoiding discounts and putting some of those inventory struggles that everybody has seen in the last couple of years behind them. Um, yeah, activewear at leisure in general, like, what are you seeing, Sophia? Like, every it, it's not going anywhere. Do you just is it becoming aloe as a competitor now? It's becoming less. All
1: about Lulu, I think, for the cool girls. But yeah, mm. what what are you? What's your take? Yeah, definitely. I think that there's more competitors in that space. Either you know they're the winners who came out of the pandemic. Um, you know, people like Alo. Um, I would say that you know, even on with some of its um, athleisure range, like it doesn't just do sneakers. Um, I think it's something that you know a lot of brands are looking at as you know a possible kind of return to. Getting outside, like hiking, fitness. It's it's like a different category, but it's definitely still kind of pulling in those customers who are like interested in health and fitness. You know, it's been such a big theme over the last couple of years. I don't think it's going anywhere, but I agree. And especially expanding into international markets, um, yeah, Lulu is going to have to contend with a lot of different other players. Um, and possibly, you know, when it comes to like Sustainability and athleisure, um, they might have some more competition there in that space as well.
0: Yeah, as someone who's based in the US, my, I just in my mind, it's like Gymshark, which is a different type of company, is really dominant in the UK. Yeah, is that the the big activewear company there?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's definitely one of the newer ones. I would say that Nike and Adidas still take up most of the kind of space, um, even within the athleisure kind of market specifically. Um, but yeah, Gymshark has grown like quite a lot in the UK, you know, the, the kind of story of the founder, being someone who's young and innovative and kind of pushing things forward um, has definitely appealed to the audience. Um, and I think just appealing to that kind of multicultural aspect of the UK as well is something that Gymshark has done really well.
0: Yeah. It'll have to continue, Lulu. Continue to evolve. I feel like it's—it was probably earlier than it gets credit for in terms of kind of meshing the active wear and ready-to-wear worlds, and in, in terms of like putting comfort-based elements, like an elastic waistband in a trouser. Um, I feel like it's done that for a while. But yeah, the the at-home tech isn't working out. How else? I don't know. Should they evolve? International, um, in terms of product, it's stacking up. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what else they're doing with their um, app. Um, So I know that digital business is still a component for Lulu and that's what they're looking at right now. They're going to be announcing a new two-tier app-based model that's going to be launching in the summer um, at like a lower monthly rate. So that's something that they're looking at kind of expanding into and considering the fact that their consumers might not be willing to spend quite as much um, this time around.
0: Right on. Let's move on. This was fun. Um, I want to talk about something super fun to me. I love stylists. I love celebs. But anyway, <laughs> The Hollywood Reporter. So they just released their 12th annual 25 Most Powerful Stylists list. Um, it celebrates those who really made celebrities into style icons, I would say, in the last year. Also really did a lot of brands well, magnified them on the red carpet and beyond. The list had some clear themes. Um, These archival fashion lovers, some of the usual suspects from prior lists, and I would say experts at gowns for better or worse. I'll get into that because I feel like there are some misses here in terms of some areas we could be focusing on, Hollywood Reporter. But um, the print issue includes This feature that includes the feature. It had four covers um, with different covers, different stylists and their clients. So, yeah, first take, Sophia, did you kind of immerse yourself, catch up on this list? What did you think of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually thought it was really good. Like, it's nice to kind of see the people behind the fashion. I think that not every stylist is necessarily so kind of front forward, although I think that. A lot of the ones mentioned here were people who have a little bit more of a social presence um, and kind of like to engage with um, the kind of customers and their fans online as well. Um, Obviously, I think Erin Walsh and her like specific TikTok channel is someone that I love and her styling with Anne Hathaway has been very much on point. Awesome.
0: I do not follow Erin Walsh on TikTok. Where have I been? Um, but I do on Instagram. But yes, she was a cover star with Anne. I mean, definitely had a major year, brought her, I guess, Andy look from Devil Wears Prada. Everybody was buzzing about online. Um, the other cover stars were Jennifer Austin with her client, Angela Bassett. And uh, Molly Dixon with Sydney Sweeney and Sadie Sink. I mean, Sydney Sweeney, Sweeney definitely, I would say. Uh, I think the stylist said in the feature that she brought back the low rise mini this year, and I could see that for sure. Um, young, budding icon, I would say. And then last but not least, I actually didn't know of these stylists. It's Jodie Turner Smith's stylist, and she definitely had. Some major moments, mostly on the Cannes red carpet at the International Film film Festival. So that was Wayman, um, Bannerman, and Micah McDonald. Um, so yeah, new fans of them. And then they also rewarded that Elizabeth Stewart, who's been on the list before as Stylist of the Year. But I didn't know what she was doing with sustainability and Cape Blanchett. And um, really that she worked with that client, passionate about sustainability to... Um, pull pull in vintage archival pieces and and or champion these young designers who are doing things sustainably to kind of give them a platform um, and to forward some of these ideas. Um, yeah. Who else were you a fan of or what did you like to see?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I love the actress. I think J.D. Turner-Smith has had some really kind of powerful things on the red carpet. Um, and I I love the idea of, you know, a... Stylist kind of pulling things in for Cape Blanchett that are kind of archival and I think there's just been a general trend towards you know pulling pieces I think Kendall Jenner has pulled in multiple pieces which are archival pieces but also just more sustainable pieces and niche designers I would say that looking at the state of fashion right now um the best way that young designers can get a name for themselves is through these stylists working with them um, to put them on, you know, celebrity red carpets. I think that that's something that, you know, is, is kind of almost underrepresented, the importance of that. So, yeah, I mean, someone like Florence Pugh, for example, like she was at the Harris Reed show, um, and I think that that's someone who, you know, is championing a young designer who's doing particularly well. Oh my gosh.
0: You mentioned uh, Kendall Jenner and I just started Googling around because let's just say this, like who's to say sometimes celebrities have their um, stylists with them at photo shoots and they're involved in the styling. They're involved in, yeah, the look and maybe including the the wardrobe that's set out at the shoot or whatever. But I, I was considering putting this in my fashion briefing this week that the power of Je- Kendall Jenner keeps coming up in, in various discussions from brands. So there was Aloe Yoga with the tennis skirt um, post that went viral that Kendall wore. Um, there was also, uh, oh, I was talking with Risa um this this week on the Glossy podcast and was talking about the power of Forward and putting um, Kendall in that creative creative director position, and then last but not least, I was just combing through the PBH, PBH earnings, um, and Kendall got a shout out this week about um, the post featuring her the Calvin Klein ad was, I think, the most engaged post of the year, and um, they you know were talking saying great things. Anyway, the fact of the matter is she is a style icon. This Danny Michelle, I don't know if that's her act, like you know actual last name, but I was just googling around. Um, she she's not on the list, and I, I feel like a couple of misses here. Um, in terms of yes, all these people styled epic red carpet moments that kind of live on in our head because these are the. I don't know, big moments in fashion. Like, I don't know. I'm sure these people are styling Met Gala attendees like they are um, Cannes Festival attendees and Oscar attendees. But like, what about, um, I I still, I did not see Chloe and Chanel Delgado. Chloe and Chanel, we'll say that. Um, But the fact of the matter is they style um, Rosalia, Rosalia, Olivia Rodrigo. um, Some of these digital natives like Addison Rae, um, they're amazing. They were not on the list. And this is just fun to me. Steve Harvey stylist. Steve Harvey is an icon. He's having so much fun (laughs) with fashion. And he does have a stylist, I looked it up, named um, Ellie Eli um, Caromo. So anyway, there are some fun, young, up-and-comer stylists that I was like, ah, maybe we should have expanded the list.
1: I don't yeah. know. Or I, I yeah. feel like that there was a major miss in men's fashion. Like, why is there no men's stylist on a list like this? There's so many people who are, like, coming up. You know, Daniel Glover, who's, like, got great style. Um, I think some of the Stranger Things actors have got, like, really great um, pieces over on The red carpet. Um, I can't remember who else. Um, yes. Yeah, Austin but Butler, men's. his
0: stylist was. But yeah, he definitely, I, I will have to say, Sophia. I did look specifically for her because I am such a fan of hers. Alaria Urban, Urbanati, um, she styles D- Donald Glover. She actually mm-hmm. did make the list and she does style a lot of men. It's like menswear is her thing. Oh, um, but okay. I was literally, yeah, I was looking at, this with a critical eye, like, Laria better be on here. (laughs) And she was for sure. Um, and let me think who else, uh, it's tough. I feel like a lot of these brands have to work. The stylists have to work with certain brands. A lot of, um, stylists of brand ambassadors did make the list. Um, Margot Robbie's stylist is on here, um, Kate Young. Like Margot is a Chanel ambassador. Um, there was also Jodie Turner Smith, who we just talked about. She's a Gucci ambassador um, and just kills it every time. Um, but then, <laughs> and then there's this whole conversation about is Florence. Is it pronounced Pew? Yeah, Florence Pew. Yeah. Um, Where's amazing Valentino, as does Anne Hathaway. Is she a budding Valentino ambassador? I don't think she is just yet, but Rebecca Corbin Murray um, styles her and does an amazing job. So anyway, it's just so fun to see. Anything else here? Obviously, we have to mention La Roach. Is this his last list? I don't know.
1: Uh, I <laughs> he mean, didn't make it, see. obviously. <laughs> we'll see if that's going to be the end of the the stylist journey for him but definitely you know a lot of really great names and would be good to to kind of see either kind of younger people are doing more interesting things um or also just like as you said like Rosalio and Olivia Rodrigo are great people to have in there and are missing from the list
0: yes and more people who like this is just a side note. My guilty pleasure, sorry guys, is um Real Housewives. <laughs> and you see how these people work, like stylists, like th- all of these women have stylists, and they come and they pack them up for, for trips when they go on a trip. Um, their stylists. So, you know, these celebrities have everyday stylists, and some of them are making their biggest statements when they're on the street and photographed, you know, probably intentionally by a paparazzi, but more kind of street style looks on here would be feel really fresh and hope to see that next year um, for sure. But Sophia, this has been so good. Um, good to chat, good to catch up. Anything to add on stylists?
1: <laughs> no, I think that's everything from me. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always so fun to chat through these topics.
0: I agree. It was a good big week, big week in fashion. Um, but yes, be sure to join us. Next week, Danny will be back. We will have him give a full Shop Talk report. Sorry, I missed out. It looked epic. Nelly was there. (laughs) And next week, uh, be sure to check out the Glossy podcast. I have a great guest, Andrea O'Donnell, who is the new-ish CEO at Everlane, Um, stepping in. Michael Prisman is still in the house, but taking on that CEO role as of the last couple of years. So check it out. Thanks for joining.